too often, I think, in, in businesses, we, we think we should be product focused. But we need to be customer focused, right? The more we understand what our customer needs and wants, the better off we're going to be. All right, it's time for another episode of Grow the Dream. Today, designated dissenters in a company culture? Jonah Berger, his thoughts on whether or not love at first sight exists. If you, haven't, if you haven't figured it out, we have a guest today. This brand new book releases today. Yes, folks, Jonah Berger. It's a great show. Can't wait. All that and more right now. Welcome to the most indispensable show for people doing the hard work of growing your business. It's the marketing podcast by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Welcome to Grow the Dream. All right, welcome to episode 71 of Grow the Dream Show. Yeah. Hey, you're not going to sing? We're not going to have a Rod's, apparently. Rod's apparently, Ringle. I don't sing anymore either. Josh's jingle, Rod's ringle. I'm. Uh, I'm. Not, I'm definitely not ever doing one. <laughs> I've never heard from listeners that they love my jingles, so perhaps I should stop doing them. Well, oh well, now's I your went, moment. Now, I went to assumption. You know, that sounds assumption. so. It sounds so. You. I mean, it sounds like you. Found, you sound forlorn. Like, well, good, dear listener. If you liked Josh's jingles, tweet us at GTD Show and let us know. <laughs> Please do. If there's Please. radio silence, they will forever die. Oh, all right. So, hey, this is a great show. I'm so excited because today we have a very special guest. Who that? Who that? Dr. Jonah Berger, the one and only uh, author of Contagious. We had him on last year. It was a great interview. It really was. Well received. He's got a Good brand stuff. new book releasing today. Today. What? Yes. And we, we are the official them. release partner. <laughs> yeah, right. Jonah Berger's next book. <laughs> kind uh, of the unofficial one, but we're stoked about it. All right. So Jonah's coming up in a minute, but uh, we got some news that we want to hit real quick uh, before we before we zip off to that. Uh, you know, one of the things we've talked about several times on the show is the role that tech companies have in influencing things. We talked to, mm-hmm. you know, Facebook had the, uh, the accusation, however unfounded it may have turned out to be, that uh, maybe they were influencing trending topics or somebody yeah. was or whatever. But can you imagine if, Google, let's say, the biggest search engine on the planet uh, the might ha- happen to decide they wanted to throw their weight behind a particular candidate? Like hmm. what, Rod? What kind of an impact on the election might that have? Well, I mean, clearly that would have a huge one because so many people are obtaining, you know, news. If they hear something from a friend or they hear something in conversation or whatever, an awful lot of people are going to just quick Google it, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, according to the International Business Times, is now claiming that Google has been working closely with U.S. presidential hopeful Hillary Clinton. And her campaign. And so how does that manifest itself in a Google search? Well, I don't know about the Google search. Okay, so let's be clear about what Julian Assange actually said. Okay. He claims that Google, uh, well, Eric Schmidt, uh, CEO of Google, has uh, created a separate company which is working to put Clinton in office. Uh, It's a company called Groundword. What? uh, Groundwork? Ground word, I think, okay. is, is, is the way it's spelled here in the story. Okay. Uh, and I may be wrong about that. Uh, behavioral psychologist Dr. Robert Epstein said in an interview that the stated purpose of that organization, that startup, was to put Clinton in, uh, uh, in office. Interesting. So it's not just Julian Assange making this claim. But here's something else that Julian Assange said. He said um, that uh, Eric Schmidt 
that Google is heavily integrated with Washington Power. This is a direct quote. Quote, Google is heavily integrated with Washington Power at a personal level and at a business level. Google, which has increasing control over the distribution channels, is intensely allying itself with the U.S. exceptionalism. So he's talking about... Um, that's an end of the quote. He's talking about uh, that Eric Schmidt is heading the Pentagon's innovation branch. I, I don't get how they're aligning themselves with U.S. exceptionalism. What does that even mean? Uh, I, I know what U.S. exceptionalism means, but I don't know what it means in that context. I have no idea, but I think what he's trying to do is draw a line between or connect some dots between, okay, so Schmidt's involved in the Pentagon. It helps Google if the U.S. Uh, exceptionalism cause gets moved forward, and maybe perhaps he's suggesting that Hillary Clinton would be in favor of that if she took office. I'm not. I'm not sure that I understand all of the details of that, but um, he claims that quote Google shows the will to use that, meaning their influence, at different levels. It will inevitably influence its. It will inevitably influence <laughs> its audience. Okay, so here's what. Can I talk about what I saw this yeah, morning on my saying, Facebook feed? Yeah, I'm really feed? interested in that. Yeah. Somebody is saying that, so I don't know if this is related to this company. They put it together. I, I don't know the inner workings of Google, how this works. But apparently, if you go, so we've heard about this uh, criminal investigation into Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah. Well, it's now being called a criminal investigation, even though it has been a criminal investigation okay. for a long time. Okay. So now it's publicly we're being talked, we're talking That's about That's the it. only kind of investigations the FBI conducts. <laughs> so if you look at Google Trends, massive trend. People are looking into, they're searching about this criminal investigation uh, keyword. So if you go into Google and you start typing Hillary Clinton, C-R-I... Mm -hmm. oh, Criminal oh, oh. investigation. It's still this way. It just did it. I just did it right now. So it, I. It autocorrects to. Go ahead. Go, no, you go ahead. <laughs> autocorrects to Hillary Clinton crisis, Hillary Clinton crime reform, Hillary Clinton crime, crime, crime bill 1994. Interesting. Even though you might be looking for criminal. No, so, most people, everyone is looking for criminal right. investigations. It's, you see in Google Trends, everybody's looking. So it should be the number one autocorrect result. On Bing yep. and Yahoo, it is. So right now, I just did so it. So they're wow. changing. They're altering. The top ahead. one is crime reform. The second one is crisis. Third one is crime bill 1994. But if I do it, if I add the M, so C-R-I-M, yeah. I get crime reform, crime bill 1994, and criminal video, which I don't even know what that is. Is That's not, it's not, you know. It should be criminal investigation. Story. So they've dropped this. Oh, but you know what? <laughs> okay, so if you run the search. Now today, of course, as I, as I run the search. It's all about Google, yeah. Is is Google manipulating searches to be pro-Hillary? Uh, well, we just showed that apparently they are. So, wow, that's pretty fascinating. Isn't that wild, but see, guys? I mean, that's, that's huge because what it means is now the, the, the one thing that we were all, whether right, left, or indifferent, were doing was trusting a Google, research, research, ah, Google search result because yeah, it was an algorithm. Right. right. It was just basic you know, math going on in there. And so, and, uh, so, and now, it's so now this we is know, so convoluted. It is. Now we know, okay, we can't actually trust Google search results. Because really, once they cross this line, well, even if they apologize and go, oh, no, no, that was whatever, now a seed has been planted. And trust is one of those things that's super hard to get back. So let's, let's be clear. We're What's not, their motto? Don't be evil? We're not suggesting that they change the search results. We're, we haven't said that they change the results. What we're saying is that they've changed the autocorrect. Autocorrect, yeah. So, or the autocomplete, I guess, is, yeah. is the, te is right, the but technical. Isn't term. that what most everybody uses? 
I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about it. I I, I, mean, I certainly do. While I'm typing, oh, it, it's where I want to hit enter. Boom! Why do I keep typing? Oh, when all it's the already time. shown me. Of course. Yeah, but if I don't see it, it helps. I don't see the autocorrect teaches you about the. I mean, if it auto completes to criminal investigation, when you type the word Hillary Clinton and then CRI, I mean. I mean, you're going to assume I, I totally, that there's yeah, something there. I told, I'm, not, I'm not denying anything you guys are saying. I'm just saying if I don't see it show up in the autocomplete, I type, I type whatever I want it to anyway. So I, huh. I don't it, know what most people's behaviors are. So look, once you go past C-R-I-M and go to I, you don't even have. There are no There are no options. You have to <laughs> wow. spell it at that point. Oh, They've entirely funny. deleted that autocorrect. That's wow. interesting. Interesting Option. stuff. Well, I mean, you I mean know, that's just pretty blatant. Fact. Is it intentional? I don't know. Maybe I don't. I also don't know how long it takes for Google to update the autocomplete stuff. You know right. what I'm saying? But it's I, yeah. it's in the results. So this stuff is in the results. Uh, you know, actual search algorithm does not appear to be affected by this, from what I can see. Come but, on, uh, Google, you don't mess with that stuff. All right, hey. So one more story before we uh, before we wrap up our news segment and get to Jonah. Uh, Thirty top cities for small business entrepreneurs. This was published in Small Biz Trends last week. On a lighter note, <laughs> where should you be living when you work here in business? Well, Bye. my suggestion is it's apparently not San Francisco. <laughs> like, is it even on there? It, it's actually it in the top ten. Nine. Oh, it's it is. Number nine. It's just it's below Atlanta and just barely above Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Wow. I know. Who knew? So here, here's what I take from this. A couple of things. Number one, obviously, all of these are big metro areas. You got to start there because these aren't percentages or anything. These are raw numbers. Yeah. How so are these calculated, Mr. More, so um, it's basically saying it's, these are more popular, right, with small right. business entrepreneurs. Well, these, these are these are businesses that have between one and 49 people, according to the census between what 2011, 2014. Um, so those are those are considered to be, you know, small companies, startups, that sort of thing. What I find interesting is in the Northeast, you have New York, which is, of course, a monster city, and it's number one. But Boston isn't there. Philadelphia isn't there. Oh, Boston should definitely be there. But it's not. I mean, That's true. Raw numbers from the census. Boston is not there. But Houston and, is, is and number Washington two. Washington is not there. DC, yeah, okay. which I is guess, very interesting. I guess I think too. of these companies or these uh, areas because they're tech focused. Exactly. And this and is more. This is just raw numbers, and and technology small is still not the major part of the economy by a, by a long shot. Okay. All right. So, so we this mentioned is an interesting way of looking. Two at things. is Houston. Three is LA. Four is Miami. Uh-huh. A medical research seems to be driving that one. Uh, really? and, and, of course, tourism and all that stuff. Chicago is number five. That's kind of surprising. To Again, me. Uh, third largest city in the U.S., though. Right. But your other northeastern cities didn't make it. Chicago did. That's kind well, of Chicago's the Midwest yeah. city. Of course. I know. But, right. I mean, I, I, I'm just... Uh, right. Yeah. All right. A uh, couple of, uh, couple of uh, Texas cities representing. Dallas is also there. Right. But uh, So Dallas, but not... Uh, Houston was number two. Not Austin. Dallas. Austin's nowhere on there. No, but Austin's too small. These Austin are raw is numbers. Tiny, See, tiny if, by if, you, if yeah. you did this by by percentage of businesses or percentage of population, mm. uh, Austin would be on there then. Uh, okay. Awesome. Right. All right. So if you're thinking about starting a business or you're uh, running a small business, uh, these are apparently uh, there are 30 on this list. So we'll it could be helpful it. or it could be completely unhelpful. Yeah, you never know. It's very related to. It's fun to look at. Depends on what you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, the one and only Jonah Burger. Yes. Hey, did you know one of the major factors in search now or becoming so is speed and accessibility. And coolness, apparently. Yes, yes. I, I said I'm I wear not, my shades. I'm not cool enough. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, keep going. Okay, I'm gonna keep going. So speed. So, I like speed. Fast I, websites. I recently, had on before both of you. Just saying. Recently, I drank the Kool Aid, and went switched to WP Engine uh, on the Pitch.fm, and it was a smooth switch. Number oh, one, so easy, to which do. was super cool. Yeah, moving, it's great. moving WordPress a WordPress tough. site, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, WordPress sites can be difficult to move. 
Yes. Not on WP Engine. Um, used a coupon, got a really sweet deal, paid for the whole year on one site. It's really, for how fast, like it's, I know it's boutique, like really, you know, nice. It's, yeah, it's more expensive than other shared hosting, but you know what? It kicks other shared hosting's tail. Right. Well, if you're getting traffic on your site or you're trying to get traffic or you've got this money site, like you should pretty much have that site on WP Engine. Because uh, the, the paid, well, not only is it about experience for your users, um, but the SEO benefits um, from the big G. And your own benefits. You know what? They uh, will upgrade <laughs> your unsafe. Your own benefits? Yeah, yours. Oh, uh, they upgrade. Yeah, they upgrade uh, your, your plugins for you. If uh, they're, right. uh, if they're, if they're security problems, uh, they watch all of that stuff. They do daily backups. Instant uh, snap of your site if you want to create a staging site so you can tinker with something and change yeah, it and see cool. it. Totally. I mean, it's really great. Love it. I love it. Love it. Uh, you can get started with WP Engine at gtdshow.com slash WP Engine. And I think there is a special deal right now of some kind. Uh, it's good. Yes. I think it's two months free. I think that's right. Something like that. So be cool like me. Check out WP Engine, gtdshow.com slash WP Engine. All right, we're back with more of episode 71, and today's special guest, Dr. Jonah Berger, marketing professor at the Wharton School, UPenn. Jonah, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing great. Excited to be back with you guys. I know, man. We're really thrilled to have you back, and today is very special because today is the day that Invisible Influence comes out. Yeah. June 14th, 2016. Uh, man, we're excited about the new book. Congrats. Oh, thank you so much. I'm quite excited as well. How long has this been in the works? You know, uh, it's been, uh, the book itself has probably been uh, two to three years in the works. The research behind it has been over 15 years, so it's been percolating for a while. So that sounds like a lot what what, uh, Contagious was. If I remember right, when you wrote Contagious, that was like 10 years worth of research Mm -hmm. before before the book was written. Does that sound about right? Yeah, and what's what's neat is, you know, this book very much dovetails with the work of Contagious. It's not necessarily a sequel. It's not Contagious-er, um, but it's some of the same themes. More Contagious. Uh, some different ones as well. Okay. So um, you've, got, you've done something different on the hardcover. Can you tell us about, I mean, when I read, I haven't seen the hardcover because the, the copy we have is a, is a proof uh, that's a paperback. But um, it sounds very like Harry Potter-ish. <laughs> you know, uh, even Special if you edition. never, uh, if one of your listeners never reads the book, I hope that they pick up the cover. Uh, we spent almost as much time on the cover as we did on the book, but it's something I've never seen before in a book cover. Uh, it is an animated book cover, and not an animated cover online, but an animated cover in real life. So, uh, just like influence is often invisible, uh, we don't necessarily see it, even though it's there. Uh, the cover changes depending on the angle that you look at it. So you can't see the influence oh, yeah. unless you look at it from the right angle. Oh, clever! Whoa. And so, what marketing – did you already see the strategy that is? That must have added – Making things hard to find? must have added a few, uh, a few pennies to the cost of the, per book. It, it did. Uh, and also if you walk past it in the, in the bookstore and it's facing outward, it will follow you almost like the, oh, it has sweet. eyes looking at you. So, sweet. Uh, no, well, I wonder if that will increase sales or if it will scare people away from the bookstore. <laughs> Hey, people at least they'll look. Yes. The cover of the book. I can <laughs> exactly. see the headline. So it's like only 30 years after the invention of the animated GIF, we now finally have it offline. I love it. <laughs> oh, have, you, have you turned a video of the offline version into a GIF that we can embed on the site oh, so that, that digitally people can see the effect? 
I, I definitely have. I'm happy to send that over. And also, if people go to my website, they can actually move it themselves. So see, it's sort of an action by playing with it on a scroll. You, you had too much fun with this. I was showing my wife the little slider, and I was sliding it back and forth. And she's like, yeah, okay, so what? You know, And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. The actual book is animated. <laughs> it does this, yes. <laughs> So she's like, I've seen stuff like that before. That's like, crazy. No, 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 that's you know, it's just a, a gimmick like that that we've seen on toys for ages, and nobody's ever thought to put it on a book. Yeah, and you know, uh, it's it's right for this book for a particular reason. You know, just like we spent a while on the Contagious cover because we wanted it to reflect the idea of the book. That, that we're not just doing a, a cover because it's fun here. The idea is influences all around us, but we really don't see it. And so the cover is almost uh, a Trojan horse carrying the message of the book itself. Well, we hope the book does really well. I know it's already, uh, even you know, in pre-orders, it was already climbing uh, the Amazon charts. It was number one in, I forget what category it was the last time I looked, which was a few days ago. But uh, uh, So congrats on that. It looks like it's, it's, it's starting strong. So um, what is the idea of invisible influence? I mean, with Contagious, it seemed like you were more focused on what might take a product or a business or an idea or whatever and make it take off. But this, it seems like maybe you're looking at it from, a, from the other perspective. Am I right? Yeah, so you know, uh, I I loved writing Contagious in, in the years that it came out. I've gotten the chance to speak to you know hundreds of organizations uh, and uh, thousands of individuals about the ideas. And, and people would often come up to me after the talk and go, you know, I love this. It's so great. Uh, but you know, do you have anything smaller? Like, if I'm not trying to get an idea to to catch on in a whole organization. I'm just trying to influence one or two people. Or you know, I don't have a product or idea I want to spread, but I want to be influ- more influential at the office. I want to know how to motivate my employees, or I, I want to know how to you know get something to catch on on a smaller scale rather than a larger scale. And I'd often think about it, and I agreed that Contagious is a lot of fun, but it wasn't the right book for that. And so I really wrote Invisible Influence um, as a response to the questions that came up from, from my talk. So how can we better influence others around us? How can we make better decisions both ourselves and, and in groups? And how can we motivate both ourselves and others? Um, uh, Invisible Influence is really about how we use influence at a small scale to create change to help both ourselves and others. So on an interpersonal level? Definitely, yeah. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. So, where, where did you get the data for this? You know, uh, some of this uh, was actually research I worked on even before uh, I worked on Contagious. So uh, some of it's from my dissertation back in graduate school. Some of it is, is research that's been around actually for decades in social psychology. So digging back into even research from the 1960s and 1970s that haven't seen the light of day about uh, cockroaches and motivation or about people and how quickly they bike if other people are around them. So really surveying a wide range of literature to help us understand human Did behavior. you read uh, how, to influ- how to Win Friends and Influence People? <laughs> Dale Carnegie. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's a great book. And, you know, that and um, uh, Bob Cialdini's Influencer are classics in the area of influence. That's really about persuasion. How do we persuade others? Invisible influence is certainly related to that, but it's a little bit different. So how do we motivate others, for example, is not something that's really in other books. Uh, how do we make better group decisions? Not in those, those books either. And so it's really about the mere fact that someone's doing something, even if they're not asking us to change our behavior, might change our behavior as well. So you, you kind of open with this idea that maybe we conform uh, unconsciously a little bit more often than we think we do, right? Can you talk about some of that? Subconsciously? Uh, yeah, or, or at the level, in other words, at, at the level that we're not aware. Yeah, okay. maybe unconsciously. Maybe. Yeah, so sometimes when I tell people about the new book, they say, oh, yeah, influence, I get it. 
I mean, you know, everybody drives the same cars and all those teenagers listen to the same music. Uh, you know, other people are influenced all the time. And, and sometimes we do see influence. There's only one place we actually don't see influence in the world, and that is ourselves. Ourselves, uh, yeah. I never think we're influenced. If you ask people, they say, yeah, influence, that happens to other people. I'm that never happens yeah. to me. Uh, and, and it's not just because influence is, is seen as a bad thing. It's not just because we think it's bad to be influenced. You know, if you jumped, if Timmy jumped off a bridge, would you jump too? We don't want to be seen as conformist. It's actually the fact that just as you said, influence often happens non-consciously. We're not even aware it occurs. So I tell a story in the book um, about actually how we find other people attractive. So a little bit about how we end up with the spouses or significant others we end up with. Okay. And we think it's often about our preferences, right? We have certain likes, dislikes, we have a certain type. Um, Yet if you look at the data, people tend to meet that one special person. You know, we think there's one person out there for us. They tend to meet them at one or two places, at work or, or uh, at school. And so what's the chance that one right person happens to go to work with us or happens to take the same class we did in college? And what's interesting, if you look at the data, what we find attractive isn't just based on what we like or dislike. It sometimes is shaped by the mere fact of how many times we've seen someone. So I explained a great study that was done that looked at students and how attractive they found some of their classmates. And they manipulated how quickly or how frequently those classmates came to class. So some of them came a couple times, some of them came a bunch of times. What they found is that people thought their classmates were more attractive if those people had come to class more often. The mere fact that they had seen someone more made them seem more attractive. And so it isn't just we like or dislike really? certain types of people. I, how often we see them. That is really almost counterintuitive right. to me. If, that's, I, if yes. I think of my school experience, it was like, no. Oh, I've come to know this person now. I'm oh, really but, but sick of these people. You didn't say anything about interacting with them, right? It, exactly right. Oh, it's and just so visual you're talking? You read the book. Seeing someone more makes us like them. Yeah, so so I think in the study, and this is part of the book I did get to. If you interact I, with them, you like them less. No, no, no. Uh, they the people in the the, uh, the 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 students who were the the ones participating in the experiment. In other words, they were the plant, <laughs> the ones being yeah. sent. They uh, did they? Am I right, Jonah? They didn't actually speak to anyone. No, they were just merely there. And so it's it's not that they interact. You interact with someone, and I agree. There are cases you interact with someone, you learn not to like them. But in this case, just merely seeing someone, never even talking to them, merely seeing them a couple more times makes you like them more. Okay, so uh, just really short sidebar question. Love at first sight? <laughs> That's a great idea. Uh, there's, not data, there's, there's not a lot of data to support that. Right. Um, and what you actually see is, you know, we think it's love at first sight. It's lust at but first also sight? it's a little bit more like like ivy, sort of growing up the side of a wall. You, you, you know, slowly and then but your, surely your memory turns up. it into the first time I saw her type thing. Huh? Oh. Yeah, so, so uh, on that note then, um, if the idea that we might see someone more often and that might make them more appealing to us, is that... Is that like really the essence of political campaigns, uh, you know, that involve just visuals? And I'm not talking about these ads now on TV, but we're in the middle of political season. So you talking about Trump and all the no, no, I'm talking about like the local oh, campaign. You mentioned the T word. No, I'm, ta I'm totally talking about the local campaign with the yard sign. So and the if photo. you have a yard sign and it just strictly oh, okay. has a person's name on it, no policy, no, 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 no and a photo it needs oh, a photo. Or it might have a photo. It yeah. Depends on the candidate, frankly, whether we put a photo on them or not. <laughs> well, let's ask the expert. <laughs> Is there anything actually, in the research? There must be data on that sort of thing. Is yeah, there? so there's some really neat data actually on candidates' names that shows if someone's name is more familiar, you're more likely to vote for them. And so just like seeing their face, 
merely seeing their name, and by the way, it may not be in a political context. So take Arnold Schwarzenegger, for example, who won uh, in California a number of years ago. He hadn't been in politics, but people had seen his name before many times. He was more familiar, even if it didn't have anything to do with politics. And so the mere fact that he, his name felt more familiar, uh, people liked him more as a result. Oh, I well, like that guy in Terminator I should vote for. Yeah, but I mean, that, that's clearly the case with Trump. He's not been in politics either, but his name was super well-known. Uh, you know, from TV and other things long before he ran for president. So well, I guess Clinton the, the too. Same, same concept holds there. Clinton. Yeah, and, you know, take even a name like Johnson versus a name like Tronzinski or something, you know, a name that's less familiar. We might like, uh, you know, that name better because we've heard it more. So, so are you aware of like the person as a result? About, about uh, it's probably too long ago now, about, about 20 years ago in Illinois, there was a primary in the Democrat primary for like um, state attorney general or something. And there was, there was a guy, it was, really his name was like, you know, uh, Rick Johnston or something like this. And, and he was this absolute wacko. Um, <clears throat> I, I can't even remember what his extreme positions were. The guy that the party was backing and the mainstream guy, his name was a long Polish name. And honestly, in the primary, the wacko won the primary. And it was everybody concluded it just had to be the name. The name sounded great and people weren't informed enough on uh -huh. it. So they went strictly with the name to the point where at that point, Democrat Party didn't even back their own candidate. <laughs> just more familiar. Wow. Interesting. And I think what's so interesting about that is if you ask someone why they vote for someone, they'll give you an answer. If you, you know, why do we make a decision? Why, do we, why did we buy something? Why do we support a certain candidate? Why, if we're at the office, did we make a certain decision? We'll give an answer, but that answer isn't always the right answer. Right. Sometimes, even though without our awareness, we're affected by the others around us or subtle factors like how often we've seen someone or their name. Or even what you, maybe what you expect the questioner wants to hear. Certainly, some, some of that as well, yes. But, but, but I think to me, what's, what's the most interesting about this is we're not always right. Uh, okay. And the more we understand how these influences work, we can live happier and healthier lives and, and be more successful as a result. So if you, how do you take this concept, what we were just talking about with names there and all, is there, is there, does that apply to the naming of a company or of a product? Oh, certainly. So uh, thinking about, you know, picking a name that sounds more familiar. So uh, I actually uh, am in, uh, have a small consulting firm that does product naming. Uh, I named a company a number of years ago. Are now you that's, serious? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I named a company a number of years ago now that's become quite successful, Trulia. Uh, you might have heard oh, of that. Oh, might have uh, heard of that. Might have site. used that. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and nice. One, thing, one thing they wanted with the name is they wanted that name to sound familiar. And what's neat about the word Trulia is it itself is not a familiar word. You've never heard the word Trulia. It's a made-up word, but it sounds really familiar. It sounds like if, if Truly and Julia had a kid, that would be the name. But it has <laughs> that resonance. It sounds familiar. And we've actually done a bunch of research with baby names that show names that become popular tend to be a mix of other names, similar but different at the same time. And so whether we're naming our company or thinking about uh, the new product, uh, how to roll out and uh, what name it should have, think about names that sound familiar can be really powerful. So uh, it's it's too bad the pharmaceutical industry hasn't caught on to this because I'm so, some of these product names are so drastic. Oh my gosh, they're impossible. <laughs> yeah. You know, can you name one or is that? Well, I mean, no, your point I, I, that ibuprofen you can't name one. was one when it first came out. I was like, what? How do you even? What is that? Hey, wait. When did ibuprofen first come out? I don't know. Hundred years ago, we have time ago. we have three generations here. <laughs> yeah, hundred years. I'm just curious. I didn't. You yeah, know, no, a long time. It ago. came off in your lifetime. Yeah. Okay. Pretty sure. Was this like around the time we walked on the moon, or what? I don't. I don't know. Oh, We're getting man. a little, a little aside here, but I'm not. It was after that. I'm pretty sure. All uh -huh. right. So, what about uh, uh, successful athletes and siblings? I thought this was really fascinating. What What can you tell us about that? 
Yeah. So when we think about influence, we tend to think about imitation. We tend to think about people doing the same thing as others. But influence is actually a little bit like a magnet. It can attract. It can lead us to do the same as others. But it can also repel and, and lead us to do something different. And so um, if you look actually at very successful athletes, whether they're soccer players or hockey players or baseball players, um, many of them tend to have an older sibling. So uh, the best uh, sports players tend to have an older brother or sister. Um, and we think that makes sense, right? We'd say, okay, that totally makes sense. You know, if you have an older brother who plays football uh, and you play football, you learn from your older brother. Uh, you both uh, imitate them and you compete against them and that makes you better. But the data actually shows that that older sibling didn't necessarily play the same sport. They often played a different thing altogether. And so why would having an older sibling that plays a different sport somehow lead us to become successful? Do tell. Uh, and it turns out what the research shows is that siblings both lead us to do the same things, but they also lead us to do something different. Uh, you know, if your sibling is really good at football, for example, it's really hard to be the football player in the family, right? That niche is sort of taken already. Yeah, sure. So you may want to imitate them, but you're sort of encouraged to do something different as well. Right. You want to set yourself apart. That market's saturated. Yeah, so uh, saturated is a great word there, right? So if, if your sibling is the older sibling is the smart one, you become the funny one. If they're the funny <laughs> one, you become the artsy one. And so what's really neat, again, is there's this motivation to be similar, but also a motivation to be different at the same time. And so I think that motivation to be different has a big impact on how we behave. This explains why I became the better-looking smart one. My older brother, <laughs> you know. Was a dummy? <laughs> no, I can't say any what of that. What if you're, like, all-encompassing awesome? What happens to your younger sibling? None of us at this table know the answer. I don't have a younger sibling, so I don't know. So, <laughs> all right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got more with Dr. Jonah Berger. His brand-new book, Invisible Influence, releases today, and uh, you can get your copy anywhere you buy books. Anywhere books are sold. <laughs> Part of any healthy diet for an entrepreneur should involve some vitamins. You need supplements sometimes. You need you need minerals at other times, but vitamins. You need inspiration. That's in, right. Right to the cellular level. In t-shirt, <laughs> mug, or I, re I don't poster recommend that you, form. Yeah, I don't recommend that you actually consume these, but it is cool to have some swag sitting around that reminds you about how awesome it can be. Man, I, I could go for some startup gummies. Do they have startup gummies on there? Ooh, boy, that would be that would be fun. That would do, you, be fun. do you do you like gummy vitamins? Is that what you're saying? Oh well, yeah. I was just thinking, like, what what would they be in the shape of? Uh, Inspirational. I don't gummy, know. Gummies. I don't know. But if you need posters, brainstorm here. Posters, cool stuff. Inspirational yeah. things. Hoodies. Uh, we should uh, encourage you to check out. What, what do they say? What, startup what vitamins. They say startup vitamins. Uh, ideas don't work unless you do. Innovate or die. Innovate or die. <laughs> Passion never fails. Never stop hacking. Quality is the best business plan. Uh, then there's that mug that keeps following me everywhere. Doesn't follow me. GSD, baby. Yeah. Experiment, fail, learn, repeat. Anyway, a lot of good stuff. Yep. Uh, lots of t-shirts. Like, like I say, you really do want to check this out. You can visit gtdshow.com slash startup. startup. Uh-huh. I almost goofed it up. It's GTD do no. No, gtdshow.com slash startup. Startup. All right, we're back with more of episode 71. Dr. Jonah Berger, his brand new book, Invisible Influence, releases today. And we're learning all sorts of useful stuff from, what, 15 years of research. I have a question. So, uh, Jonah, have you heard of the term product market fit? Yes. Okay, it's in the startup space for our listeners. 
Oh, man, how should I explain this to listeners? It means actually creating a product that people want. I'm curious, your original book that came out, was that your first first book? It was, yeah. Okay, so, you know, it was a bestseller. It did really, really well. But obviously the second book was a response to what people said. Do you feel like it was a like a further enhancement of product market fit in your mind on a kind of a niche that you're already exploring? Yeah. And you know, that, that brings up the great point, which is too often, I think in, in businesses, we, we think we should be product focused. We say, I'm really good at making widgets. And so I should make widgets uh, and I'll keep making those widgets, but we need to be customer focused, right? The more we understand what our customer needs and wants, the better off we're going to be. And so really uh, writing this book was exactly that, you know, saying there's really a need out there for this information. Um, and Contagious was, was interesting as well. People liked it as well. But uh, I very much tried to write this book in response to the questions that came up after that book. And so fill in, fill in the need in, in the market. Wow, that's cool. That's a, that was a great question too. Uh, so what about uh, things that we might be doing at work? Right. Um, in, in, in ways that we either influence people or are being influenced. Uh, like, how can we take this to the office? Yeah, there's a situation that often comes up in the office. We're all sitting around a table making a decision. Right. Uh, it could be whether to pursue a certain project, could be who to hire, a big meeting. We're all going to vote. We're going to decide how to behave. Uh, what's interesting about those meetings is sometimes we don't end up in the best place. <laughs> you know, we start off with great intentions, but the group ends up one place when they could have ended up somewhere completely different. Uh, and often people go into that meeting with different views, but they often keep those views to themselves because they want to go along with the group. It's, it's often called groupthink, a case where groups don't make uh, as good decisions as, as in individuals might. And, and we've heard the wisdom of crowds. We think, well, crowds are wise. Crowds make better decisions than individuals. But that only works if everyone gets to share their individual information. Yeah, not if that crowd is called a mob. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> and the challenge, right, we've all been in that meeting where, you know, we had an idea. We were going to vote a particular way. And then the first person says something and we go, wow. I mean, if they think that, you know, I probably shouldn't say what I'm going to think. Or particularly if the boss goes oh, first. True. You know, I shouldn't share my opinion if it's different than what the boss is saying. And so everybody falls in line and the group go, goes right where it could have just as easily gone left. And so a key question is how can we make better group decisions, right? How by understanding influence can we avoid some of these pitfalls and do better off? And, wow. Okay. And, and so what? Yeah. And, and your answer is? <laughs> <laughs> so, so one of these things is, is to set up the decision-making environment to avoid some of these pitfalls. One thing I suggest doing in the book is, is set up what I call a designated dissenter, right? So going into that meeting, we all know that people want to want to be good group members. And if somebody says something that disagrees with them, they might not feel comfortable disagreeing out loud, particularly if that person's the boss. So set up someone whose job it is, is to disagree with the group. So is that, the, is that right, the boss? They say left. Is that the boss that designates that person? Because now I'm just it, getting into nuts and bolts because I've been in these meetings and I've been in the meeting and I've been the boss of the meeting. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's great if the boss does it, but it's also really good if the boss isn't going to do it. Right. You can even do it if you're not the boss, but say, hey, look, guys, I want to make sure we get to the best decision. I want to make sure that we avoid missing out on things. And so we're going to make, you know, John's job to point out, uh, you know, things we might have missed. Right. And so because if we don't say that at the beginning, everyone's going to blame John if he says something different than the rest of the group. But if we make that John's job, nobody's going to be upset. And here's the interesting thing. Even if John says something the rest of the group doesn't agree with, it'll make the rest of the group feel more free to share their dissent. And he's real free to do that, even uh, if, it, even if it's like kind that. of awful because, hey, he was just doing what he was asked to do, right? Exactly. But yeah, what's so, so neat is let's say there. everyone in the group is saying A and John says B. 
Let's say there's someone else in the group who thinks C. Yeah. Right? And you say, well, they're not going to say C because nobody agrees with C. But the mere fact that John said B makes them more comfortable mm-hmm. saying C. Mm-hmm. Because now it's not, oh, there's a right answer and the wrong answer. A is right and everything else is wrong. But it's a matter of opinion and I might as well share mine. And so that designated center not only points out holes in arguments but makes everyone more free to share their own unique opinion. Man, I like this philosophy a lot because, you know, especially – like in work that we do, sometimes we work with people and, you know, from a marketing standpoint, we're, we don't work for the organization, but we're trying to go in and mine the, the knowledge and the wisdom and the expertise and the experience of the people in the, in the company. And too often, you know, the hippo syndrome uh, kicks in, which is the highest paid person's opinion, right? You know, that's the, that's the one that wins the day um, because people are afraid to speak up. And so you, you, I'm always looking for ways to try to mine, you know, uh, the knowledge that those people are unwilling to share. This is a really fantastic tool. Yeah, and what's, what's so powerful, and I love that, that term hippo, right? The boss wants the best decision to be made. The boss, the, sure, the boss Hopefully. would love their own opinion to be the right decision, but even better than that, they want to make sure we reach a good outcome, the group reaches a good outcome. And yeah. So setting up the rules of the game before you get to that game, make sure that you get to the best outcome. I like this a lot, and it actually reminds me of a podcast I listened to. Uh, Tim Ferriss you know, king of uh, super long podcast episodes, uh, did something with Andreessen Horowitz uh, recently. And it was such an interesting, you guys know who Andreessen? Uh, A16Z. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so big venture capital firm out in the Valley. And he talks about their internal discussion and how they come up with decisions on whether they're going to invest millions, sometimes tens of millions uh, in companies. And he says that whenever somebody brings a deal to the table, a company that they're interested in investing in, it is the job of everyone else in that room to argue the hell out of that thing. Mm. And so including the main partners at the top, like they're kind of the lead, I guess, arguers, if you think about it. And they've set the tone for their entire organization to really argue things. And But they've got this other thing that says, even if everybody disagrees with you, at the, at the end of the day, if, even after all the discussion, everybody's still against it. You still have, I don't know if it's like once a year or whatnot, you still have like one trump card you can play and say, well, I feel strongly about this one. We're going to go for it. So that they still have that open chance that somebody has the insight into something that nobody else sees. But they make it a culture and they, in fact, encourage people like that's how they look for really smart people coming up in the organization. They look for people who argue things well. And so in they that have, respect, it's not just undermining something. It's actually bringing potential. Um, yeah, sure. Know, I mean, it has to, to be like table. a valuable argument. It right. can't just be like, well, I hate it. It's dumb. You know? Right. So I guess if you don't have a combative personality, you might not do well in that organization. <laughs> No, it's it's true, but they, he does make the argument that organizations that value people who will disagree with the status quo yeah. are the right organizations to be a part of. Interesting. I, I, does the data suggest anything like that, Jonah? Yeah, I mean, disagreement is, is a, a powerful thing, and, and sometimes we think uh, agreement is really good and we don't want to have a big fight, uh, but you know, disagreeing helps differing viewpoints get out there. That's the, that's the key, and we, we all want to get to a better place or a better answer, um, and so you know, not having that discussion is, is not going to get us there, and not having everybody agree is, is not going to get us there either. You, know, you don't want to make an enemy, but you want to make sure you get to the best end result, and having those discussions and airing those individual viewpoints will help you get there. Okay, so having having run uh, a number of teams over the years, how do you take in the concept of invis- invisible influence to motivate different members of a team that are of different personalities, different skill sets, different experience backgrounds? Um, what sorts of um, of uh, 
gems of insight do you have yeah. for motivating employees that are that are a very different group? Yeah. So when we think about motivating employees, we tend to use a, a couple of standard strategies, right? Money. We'll say, hey, you know, do do this and I'll pay you a bunch of money. Or, you know, sort of a winner takes all. You know, somebody's the employee of the month or uh, somebody's the makes the most sales calls. And so they get they get an award of some sort. Um, but one question is, is that the best way to go? Or might there actually be something else that's more efficient? Because often that makes a bunch of people feel like they're not going to get uh, the winning thing. Um, so how can you get people to stay after work, uh, put in a couple extra hours or work a bit harder? And we actually looked at a, an interesting context to study this. We looked at NBA basketball teams. Oh. Uh, and we looked at how uh, teams got motivated based on how well they were doing compared to the other team. So we looked at tens of thousands of games. Uh, and we looked at particularly the score at halftime and the score at the end of the game. Ooh. And what we found is, not surprisingly, being ahead by more at halftime makes a team more likely to win. So if a team is ahead by two more points, they're about 6 to 8% more likely to win. Um, they're ahead by four points, it's about 12 to 14% uh, percent and, and so on. Uh, and so winning leads to winning, right? Winning teams tend to be ahead, uh, they tend to win. But there was one place that actually being behind was good. And that was being behind by just a little bit. Being ahead, behind by one point, teams that were behind by one point at halftime were actually more likely to win than teams that were ahead. Even though they were worse teams on average, their, their season record was worse on average, and they were behind the other teams. And so why? Very simply, being behind by just a little bit can be motivating. You're so close that you can almost taste it, and so you work harder. You look at those teams, they come out of the locker room right in the first few minutes in the second half, they close that gap very quickly. Being 20 points behind, that's far behind, but being one point behind is just a little bit. And so taking that back to the office context, taking that back to motivating ourselves and employees, we need to frame things so that people feel just a little bit behind, just a little bit behind someone else. So when we're giving people performance evaluations, for example, Tell them what they're doing well, but also compare them to one of their colleagues that's doing just a little bit better. Really? Not so much better, but just a little will help them work harder. So, wow. so Josh, you know, you're uh, pretty good at asking questions, but Rod is just a little ahead of you uh, today. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about that? Um, you know, I got to instantly come up with a better question. Exactly. There. That's exactly right. Thank you. I, I, I guess this one's hard for me to grasp. I, I could see that being demotivating to some folks. Because yeah, of the give, nature of comparison. Let me give you one more example, if it's okay. So uh, imagine you get your energy bill in the mail, your home energy use, right? You have no idea whether the amount of energy you're using is a, is a lot or a little. Uh, so a company called Opower, what they do is they send people bills and they give them how well they're doing compared to one of their neighbors. So they say, hey, you used 100 kilowatts of energy, whatever it is a month. Your neighbor used 98. Does it name the neighbor? Uh, what'd you say? Does it name the neighbor? Probably not. Uh, it doesn't name the neighbor, yeah, no. Okay. So just, just someone in your neighborhood has a similar house to yours, similar okay, gotcha. size, mm -hmm. uh, and so on. And what they find is that encourages people to use less energy, right? Knowing that someone else is out there that's doing just a little bit better than you, doing better than you, encourages you to compete, right? You want to close that gap. You want to do better. Well, if they're using less than I am, I can do better. Uh, and so it encourages them to work harder and, and actually use less energy as a result. But doesn't the power company want to sell you more energy? Yeah, that's... Well, no, they're, well, they're smart. It's an interesting question. I mean, they, they definitely want to make money, but they also want to save energy in, in the end of the day, right? They want to have a, a good sense of, of what it's going to be. And it costs a lot of money to, to extract energy from the ground, particularly the type of energy we're using today. And so power companies are fine if we save a little bit of energy. In the long run, they think that'll make them more successful. That's interesting. Uh, that's, a, that's a very fascinating example. I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. So um, motivating employees... 
uh, we give them somebody that they can set themselves. Do you have other tidbits on uh, how this plays out? Yeah. Visible influence at the office? Oh, even, even similar things. You know, another way to motivate people is just have someone else nearby, right? So merely uh, working in a situation where you can see someone else and someone else can see you actually often encourages us to, to work harder. So uh, running at the gym, for example, if we're running by ourselves versus running on a treadmill next to someone else, the mere fact that someone else is there, actually even if we can't see necessarily how fast they're going, merely having someone else there motivates us to work harder. As long as it's something we're good at, as long as it's something that we've done before a bunch of times, merely knowing that someone else can see how we're doing gets our competitive juices flowing, uh, fires us up, and, and drives us to take action. So is this a vote for cubicles? <laughs> it's probably a vote for open offices, right? Where, uh -huh. where people can see each other and uh, encourage them to work harder. That's just, that's just exactly where I was going to go. So are you a fan of like flat organizations where everything is open and there aren't corner offices even? Uh, I think everyone's a, f a fan of those organizations unless they're the person in the corner office. Right? They, <laughs> or they, without they the corner office. <laughs> um, you, you know, uh, I've been in organizations like that. Uh, they're, they're good in some ways and bad in others. It's difficult to make phone calls because uh, you're worried you're going to disturb your neighbors. And every time they're talking, uh, they disturb you. But in, in cases where you don't need to make phone calls, you just need to, to take care of work. Um, seeing in others can certainly motivate you to work harder. This is super interesting. So I think that have, I worked in newsrooms for a number of years, and those were all open environments there. And you just got used to hearing lots of people be on the phone all the time. And, and as you're talking, I'm thinking there was a little bit of something motivating about that. When you hear people that are, are, are out there and they're getting good interviews, they're getting a lot of information, and boom, they get the phone down, they get right back to the computer and start typing and all. Um, being just in that atmosphere uh, kind of spurred you along. Yeah, and, and you know, we think that the way to motivate people is to use money or, or other uh, means, but others are a powerful peers or a powerful motivating tool. You know, I mentioned that company, Opower. They came out based on a study that was done that went around to try to figure out how we could get people to save energy. And some people were told that it saves money. Some people were told that it helps the environment. Some people were told that it makes you a good citizen. All those pitches were great, but they didn't change people's energy use. The one thing that encouraged people to actually change their behavior was comparing them to others. And so peers are a powerful tool. We can use them to help us do things we want to do, help them achieve our goals uh, if we use them strategically. I, there's a, uh, I think this is a win friends and influence people example from that book, they talk about a manufacturing plant that posted the numbers of widgets that the night shift oh, yeah. did the night before, and then the day shift got, you know, theirs was posted on the wall for the night shift to see. So like all, you know, it, you know, um, productivity skyrocketed because all of a sudden there's a little competition between sure. them. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and there's one place to be careful there, right? And, and you guys alluded to it a little bit already. If I come on on the day shift and the night shift did so much better than I did, I can get demotivated. And so it's not just about comparisons to others. It's about the right comparisons. Because if you compare someone who's a low performer to a high performer, they're going to give up, right? There's actually a, a very nice paper, some nice research that looks at people that take online courses, sort of MOOCs, uh, and they often have peer grading, right? You see someone else's assignment, you help grade others' assignments. Uh, and if people are exposed to someone else's assignment that's so much better than theirs, they often end up qu quitting the course. They because just give up. what they feel wow. like is there's no way I can close the gap, right? Being down by 20 points doesn't motivate a team. Only being down a little does because it makes them feel the gap is closable. So this is a slight change of topic. So unless you guys have something super interesting Go to ask it. here. So going back to kind of meetings and having productive meetings, what is your feeling on how many meetings should be had in an organization or, or like no meetings at all? Like how, there's a hot topic. A lot of people are talking about whether or not meetings are effective and how to do them better. 
Yeah, I mean, some people say get rid of me- get rid of meetings. Yeah, uh, and I I love that idea. Uh, as someone who sits in too many meetings, I love that idea. <laughs> I don't think that's always right, um, but I think the intuition is very right. You know, a lot of individuals like having meetings for the sake of having meetings. Uh, they feel like they've accomplished something because they've met. Uh, and often just as many things, if not more, could be accomplished by not having meetings and not breaking up folks' days. And so I think the key question is, what are we meeting for? Is this something that we can't hash out between individuals? Is this something that's going to be more effective on a call or scheduling a meeting? If so, great. But if not, don't meet just to meet. That's not necessarily beneficial. That makes sense. Fascinating stuff. So the book, Invisible Influence, The Hidden Forces That Shape Behavior, is now available as of today, June 14th, as we uh, release this show today. Uh, the author, of course, Dr. Jonah Berger, who's been with us today, also the author of Contagious, which is a fantastic book. My hope, Jonah, is that because your name is well known, thanks to Contagious, this book already has a leg up. I would say so. <laughs> we'll see how we'll see how the science proves it out. I was going to say there will be data. Be so so, but but let's take a minute and explore the J.K. Rowling story that's in that's in the book, because oh uh, sure yeah because she she released a book uh, that nobody knew about. Yeah, and, and this is quite interesting, right? We, we have this notion that uh, certain things are just better than others, right? The best stuff wins out, but actually, J.K. Rowling, uh, author of Harry Potter fame, uh, you know, had uh, pitched that Harry Potter script to a number of publishers. No one took it, and so if it's it's easy to tell that a, that a book is going to be successful by who wrote it, shouldn't they all be successful? And so she actually did something interesting. She said, "Great, okay, uh, I'm going to come out with a new book, but I'm not going to say that I wrote it." She actually wrote it under a pseudonym, uh, Robert Galbraith. Uh, and that book came out and it did okay, didn't do great. Uh, and then one day it shot to the top of the bestseller list. Uh, and you might say, oh, people finally realized the genius of her writing, right? Even though it wasn't written by her uh, or it didn't seem like it was written by her, they finally realized the genius of, of her craft. And that's not actually the case, unfortunately. Uh, someone actually uncovered her as the author. Uh, and that's when the book shot to the top of the sure. list. And so sometimes the best stuff doesn't win out, right? It's, it's all about influence between folks. People are looking for what others are doing. Uh, and understanding those influences uh, often shapes what becomes successful. I love it. I love it. So it's a fascinating read. And uh, we normally do a Tool of the Day segment coming up. You want to stick around with us uh, for that segment? Sure. Happy to. All right. Great. Right after the break, we'll be back with Tools Tools of the Week. week. Rod, you took a long trip this week. I did. A very long trip. And I was really glad that I had Audible with me. Yeah. What would you listen to? I listened to a classic by C.S. Lewis. Oh, yeah? Called... The Great Divorce. Ooh. I thought I'd read that many years ago, but I hadn't. Oh, really? Right. And so my wife and I listened to it in the car on our way up to um, our destination. Three and a half hours is all. It's fairly short. We liked it so much, we listened to it on the way home. Also. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Do you remember who read it, or was it a famous narrator? or just It a- was, yeah. Um, it wasn't famous to me. Okay. I put you on the spot. But they, it was fantastic because in that book, there's tons of different characters in it with different accents and all. And this narrator was fantastic. That's one of the things I love about Audible is that if it's a if it's a common book, like you know a really popular book, sometimes you can pick, you know, from several versions. Uh-huh. But the narration is always so outstanding. Right. The narration really helped make this. In addition to the content, of course. <laughs> well, I'm a big fan of Audible. I listen while I ride my bike. Listen on road trips. My daughter and I have listened to. Speaking of C.S. Lewis, I I got to tell you, we've listened to Narnia. I don't know. Probably she's listened to, to to the last battle probably twenty times. Is it well done? Oh yeah, it's really well done. Nice. You know who did it? No, it's Captain Picard. Oh, 
Great. <laughs> Patrick Stewart does an amazing job. Oh, that's true. Just a good example. Anyway, if you would like to check out Audible, we would like you to do so, and we're going to give you a book absolutely free of your choice. So maybe it's a C.S. Lewis book. Okay. Or maybe it's 1984, like the one I'm listening to right now. Oh, boy. Uh, anyway, just go to audibletrial.com slash dream. You can get the book of your choice and a free trial of their service, and they'll support Grow the Dream Show. Sounds great. Audibletrial.com slash dream. All right, we're back with fascinating conversation today, episode 71. Jonah Berger is our guest, and his brand new book, Invisible Influence, with an animated cover. Uh, I can't wait to actually see that cover. But we're not going to talk about his book right now. No, no, we have tools of the week. So, uh, you know, one of the things that came out today is this idea of increasing your performance. Uh, and uh, Jonah, I think we found a tool that might help someone do that. Yeah, there's uh, a great uh, startup company called Stick, S-T-I-C-K, with actually a second K at the end. Um, and we've all have trouble sticking to our goals, whether it's losing weight, doing something in the office, changing our behavior. And so what's great about Stick is it encourages you to essentially write a contract with yourself about your goal uh, and have someone else to help you monitor it. Similar to that point about peers helping us achieve our goals, you know, we've all have something we want to do, but it's easy to cheat ourselves. Um, you had a friend who wanted to lose weight of 15 pounds for about five years, never did it. And then finally, the way he did it was he said to one of his friends, hey, look, let's see you can lose 15 pounds first. And right away, that weight came off. And so having peers is a really powerful way. Stick helps you do that. Uh, you write a contract about what you're trying to achieve. You pick the folks or peers that will help you get there. Uh, and it helps make sure that you actually achieve your goals. It looks like they have like a stakes option, too. So like if you wanted to uh, set up a reward or I, I'm guessing it's a reward or penalty kind of a thing. Like if I don't meet my goal, I pay someone something or something like it looks like. I'm not sure I, I quite follow the, the logic on that, but it looks cool. Yeah, does, and what's yeah. neat about that is, is actually that'll help, right? Having a reward or a carrot or a stick will help. But merely having someone else looking over your shoulder and right. making sure you're doing what you say you're going to do will help make you stick to it. Boy, right. that's really cool. Yeah. So I, I found a different tool in the middle of you talking. Reminded me of an app I downloaded. I've got... Lots of these apps where I download you them like the because they, team, sound, they sound really cool. I'm like, I got to try this thing out. I'll download the app so I will have it. <laughs> and so, I, you know, this is why I have the 64 gigabyte iPhone. And uh, next upgrade cycle, I will probably get a 128. Anyway, different topic. So I got this app. It's called Coach.me. Have you heard of this, Jonah? It's new to me. No, I haven't. Yep. Do we lose him? No, I haven't heard of it before. Oh, okay. So what it does is it bas- it it sounds a lot like uh what's it called stack stick stick, stick. okay whatever it, <laughs> it pairs you with somebody and you you share your goals but then it also has like an upgraded you know the paid portion of their app sure you can get a dedicated coach that calls you on a weekly basis ooh so it, you know it's kind of the there's some crossover at least in my mind to what a coach would do and like an accountability partner like you just need somebody to at the end of the day. You have to tell them if you failed, if you didn't meet your goal. And like if there's nobody there for that, you know, perhaps you don't uh, hit that goal. But that's what this app does. It's called uh, Coach.me. I haven't tried out the premium stuff, but they're, they also have like just a free plan that kind of helps coach you just from an app uh, perspective. So I have no idea if there's an Android app. Cool. But All right. That's so, hey, we'll have links out uh, on today's show notes uh, to both Stick and Coach.me so you can find those. 
uh, along with more info on Jonah's book, and I hope we're going to have that animated GIF on the uh, on the show notes as well. That'll be fun. Speaking of animated GIF, who has an iPhone 6S or 6S Plus? My wife has a 6S. Okay, yeah. you know the the, the live photos that they take? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you yeah. like these things? No. Well, there's a new thing that'll turn them into a video. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I and saw that this And it's by uh, Google. Well, it's it's really good, and everybody's mad. They're like, Google, why didn't you make this for my Android phone? <laughs> well, because Android phones don't typically, although the Samsung yes. S7 does. Right. Yeah. Wait, yeah. did you did you tell me about this earlier in the week? No, no, I think I saw it in something last week. You know, I think you I don't po- know. yeah, you you chatted. Somebody chatted with me about it. Anyway, anyway, it's actually a better implementation of Facebook. It will take your existing, um, yeah, iOS your, live photos or whatever, right. and turns them into a really cool animated gift. It and tries to piece them together, right? and they're smooth too. Yeah, it does something to try to smooth the gaps because because you, you obviously you don't always take the pictures quickly enough for them to yes. overlap and stuff. So yeah, cool. so it's what Apple could have done. So what we need to do photos. now is start a movement of people photographing the animated cover of Invisible Influence in bookstores and posting it yes. online. Yes, with their iPhone 6 or 6 <laughs> or 6S or 6S Plus, yeah. and then download the Motion Stills app. Motion Stills. All right. Yeah, well, that's fun. what it's called. Well, thank you, Jonah Berger. We appreciate you being here today. Uh, where can people find out more about you or connect with you, uh, aside from, of course, buying the book? Yeah, so the best place is just uh, jonahberger.com, uh, first name, last name, J-O-N-A-H-B-E-R-G-E-R.com. Uh, and you can also find me at j1berger on Twitter. All right, and we appreciate you joining us today. It's always great having you on the show. This was a fantastic topic, and of course, we'd love to have you back. Yeah, um, let's and- not wait till your next book. Yeah, unless, yeah, unless, unless you that's do coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we we got to let this one sell for a while before we release yeah, it. Really. Probably. Yeah, okay. So, hey, well, listen, we, we, we appreciate you coming on. It's always fun having you here, and uh, we wish you all the best. Hope the book is a massive success. Thanks, Jonah. Thanks, guys. Oh, man. So show notes, links, and all that good stuff, you can find them on the web at growthedream.com slash shows slash 071. And if you'd like to get a hold of any of us, you can get a hold of David Johnson at Twitter, at the David Johnson. Because I'm the one you know. And you can find uh, Rod Thompson. He's on Twitter at Rod underscore Thompson. No, nope. Don't follow me on Twitter, please. Why not? You can Snapchat me. Yeah. Did we ever figure out what your Snapchat name? Oh, we, we have to search for your name. <laughs> Phonetically. Well, I realized that they don't. Snapchat, there is no search. Yeah, you said that you last just week. Have to, like, just find your name. So it's actually, it's Mooch E-O, right? You have to spell M-O-O-C-H-E-O. Okay. Huh. So not like it's actually spelled. You know what? You know, here's what I'm going to do. It's really confusing. I'm going to photograph your QR code, and we're going to put it in the show notes. For that today. would be very special. So if you want to find Josh's Snap, I don't know why you would, but if you do, <laughs> I'm kidding. Hey, you know, Rod didn't make fun of you all day. So I feel like I have to. I know, it's something. very odd. No, it left the universe out of balance, didn't it? Well, it just felt like a component of our show was missing. Well, okay, can we, can we ask our listeners to tell us whether Rod should continue, should the bromance continue or not? Oh! Hey, you heard it here, folks. No, I, I'm not acknowledging that yes, there is a bromance. Is. Yes, you did. I mean, yes, I in, in the court of law, yes. That. But what, it was the quickest way to say... Should the banter between me and Rod Which is why I choose continue. the term, because it's the quickest way to refer to what goes yeah, on. Really, and I'd like to hear if people think that, you know, us sort of taking shots at each because other's generation Rod's, works, or if it's a little Because Rod's wife told him to stop. Right, she well, thought I was being mean, and, and I so... I think we have been mean at times. I yeah. have to agree uh, with yes, him on this Yes, but you one. definitely should not discontinue it. And we spent a whole show last week talking about the relationships between generations. No. <laughs> right, but I hardly, so. what's interesting about that is I hardly said anything. It was just him 
Right, whatever. That's a different story. See? Here we go. It's back. All right. Well, that was quick. We got that resolved. I'm just saying, you can't do out with it entirely because I think it's entertaining. Okay. And just like Jonah just said, you had to disagree with people. Yeah. So more needs to be an open of, environment of disagreement here. Which is why I set you guys up. Like his questions are a little, just a little better than yours. No, I think just they're, a little. They're not better. <laughs> if I disagree with your thought fundamentally, then it's not motivating. It's like I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, but I'm the Because I think so, you're wrong. You no, know, it's all good. All right. <laughs> we'll let our listeners weigh in. Yeah, please do weigh <laughs> in. Right. Love to hear from you. Tweet us at GTD Show. You can also email us at show at growthedream.com. And we have a fantastic show. Speaking of shows, next week, our special guest, Dr. Steve Steph, will be talking about leadership and culture. It's going to be a great one. Let's do it. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Grow the Dream Show. We invite you to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Get connected to our growing community, add your comments, ask questions, and listen to the archives on the web at growthedream.com slash show.